Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is CM Alexander at the News. Dairy Public Library's annual Dodge Book Tournament is as violent and educational as ever. These teams from all over the country have returned to Dairy to compete for the prestigious Dodge Book Championship. We take you live to sports correspondent Dr. John Hellijohn. Thanks, CM. Drinks are on head coach of the Virginia Whiffs, Mrs. Dalloway, tonight as her team took it to the Smite House on the Arthur Thronin Doyles. The UK natives came a long way to be here, but in the end, they had no shot, Sherlock. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King Book Club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, CM Alexander, alongside Joshua Khan. Hey, everybody. Benjamin Graham. What's up, constant readers? And I don't want to bracket, but I finally understand what's going on. I could explain to you guys exactly what March Madness is. I'm so impressed. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Five years on, we've learned what a bracket is. No additional questions. I have no follow-ups. Oh, okay. You're very convincing. All right. So how does seeding work? Okay. We plant seeds of <laughs> ideas into a flowchart, and we describe why one is better than the other, and then that seed wins and fights the other seeds until all the seeds are lying bloody and broken in the battlefield, mm-hmm. save but one, the ultimate seed, the God seed. The God seed is all-knowing, and on the seventh day, we will fulfill his purpose. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. His madness is cosmic in its origins, complex molecules radiating in submillimeter wavelengths in an ocean of dust, tearing nanoscopic holes in all of reality. The God seed marches on. It's March Madness, guys. <laughs> That's my Reverend Jacob's take on March Madness. <laughs> yes, perfect. Yeah, that rules. <laughs> and that happens every March. That's why it's so intense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, this year, we've decided to do something different. We are going to actually do battle this year. Mm. Yeah, we're fighting it out. Yeah, you are. Wow. Because this year, we are taking 16 of Stephen King's deadliest women, and we are going to find out who is the foremost femme fatale in this season of March Madness. This sounds like the best thing ever. (laughs) So we are doing uh, a fight night without the the (laughs) pre-pro. Pretty much, yeah. Sick. This is my favorite. Nice. (laughs) Given that it is uh, imaginary in all of our constructs, we can all add the elements to the battlefield if we so choose, as we narrow down our, our decision. And... This is a very specific rule, but in these head-to-heads, whoever the lowest seed is has any environmental advantage. Okay. Yes. Right. I will right. pretend I understand. Perfect. I was listening. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Do you want to hear who all is going to be in the bracket this year? Or would you like to find out as we explore? Usually I list them off in that what we're going to talk about in this episode, and then we jump into it. I I think I'd like to hear them so that I can plan appropriately. Fantastic. All right. <laughs> yeah, considering just like every year, we don't have any of this information uh, beforehand. Mm-hmm. Josh and Ward we, said it. Was it. Was available no offer, we had no you. opportunity. You yes. had abundant. <laughs> so he says. I, for the first year, Josh, <laughs> before we came on, 
when do you guys want the brackets like a week early to look over them? And we both were like, meh. <laughs> Independently of yes. one another, Ben yeah. and I both said, nah. <laughs> in the same dismissive tone. <laughs> yeah. But I, I noted it in the Facebook post when I announced our contest that you'd already had your chance. <laughs> <laughs> All right. In this episode, we are going to be going through the following matchups. Charlie McGee versus Rosie McClendon. Dana wow. Jurgens versus Alice Maxwell. Mrs. Carmody versus Bobby Anderson. Oh. <laughs> Dolores Claiborne versus Abra Stone. Two of these make me sad. There are some wildly disparate uh, power levels going I, on here. I mean, you're not wrong. Interesting. But I'm the thing that they all have in common, they're capable of murder. Well, they're capable of killing. Not all, I wouldn't call all of it murder. Sure. And so they're they're categorized based on how many kills? No. Uh, this year, it was completely random draw. 16 names oh, in a hat okay. pulled out, and that's how they wound up. Honestly, it's the only way in the world Rosie McClendon would wind up as the 16th seed mm. if, it is, if yeah. it's random. I mean, come on now. <laughs> All right. So our very first matchup, we have Charlie McGee versus Rosie McClendon. Boy, howdy. That's <laughs> rough. I know who I know. I was going to say I know who I want to win, but that's not even true. <laughs> I feel like I know who I have to pick. Just for, just the, for morality's sake. Yeah, that's the thing, is you want to say Rosie, right? What, no, Charlie, the child. Well, okay, well, so that's... But, okay, or see, I'm that's thinking the morality problem. of the individual, you're thinking the greater good, because I'm a piece of shit. Okay. No, you. no, no. Well, I, I was thinking the same thing, because my first thought was, I know who I want to win is Rosie, because we love Rosie. Yeah. But then I was like, oh, but that would make, <laughs> that would mean she needs to murder a child, and that's not <laughs> right. But also, Charlie was kind of on the edge of is she a protagonist? Mm -hmm. So you might be saving more people by picking Rosie. This is a philosophical conundrum. Okay, so I have to really nail down what <laughs> what scales I'm going to be weighing these competitors against. Sure. Are, are we considering, it's really interesting that we both immediately like, what What would the good, who's the good guy here? <laughs> when really, if we're ultimate showdowning of a ultimate destinying, it's, all right, we just talk in power level. I think we're talking, uh, who okay, would power, win. grit. So I, I think we always, with, with our female Stephen King characters, I think we do an especially good job of focusing on what, makes them who they are, what gives them strength mm. beyond just their powers. How much narrative are we wanting to have this uh, this whole bracket have? We can pull them. So this is going to go uh, Secret War style. Okay. Where they are going to be ripped from time and space. Ripped? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's violent. It, it is. Well, they're about to fight is to the like death. Is this like a Mortal Kombat thing? Now I'm just this picturing. This is kind of a Mortal Kombat yeah. thing. Kind of, yeah. So they're going to be pulled from that time and place, dropped into this arena. Oh. And then For Mortal have Kombat. to fight someone to the death. <laughs> okay. Okay. So they'll be... Equally disoriented about what is happening, but they'll only know oh. one thing. Their only way out is killing the other person. My instinct is to say, obviously, Charlie's going to win, but we know what Rosie does when she suddenly finds herself in a new place. I think she <laughs> would orient herself based on her prior experience very quickly, and she does pretty solid work in magical 
places. And I assume this arena is a magical place. It, it can be. She is yeah. the lowest seed. So she we get to pick uh, whatever area favors her. We I, I say we make this a magical place. They're fighting okay. in the labyrinth. Yeah. Okay. That's where this fight takes place. Yeah. That does give her a little bit of a, a advantage, I guess. Possibly. But also all of her fighting is very physical. True. How yeah. well do we think Rosie is at not bursting into flames? <laughs> moderate. I'm gonna go with moderate. <laughs> There's a certain level of uh resistance. She may have, we don't know all the powers of the armlet. Yeah, she might be able to, (laughs) yeah, kind of have like a a wall against that power of Charlie's. She might be able to resist. The biggest thing about the, where they're fighting is Rosie knows the dangers of Mm -hmm. the labyrinth. Mm -hmm. Like if she can knock Charlie into the forgetful water. Mm Mm-hmm. She won't even remember she can set stuff on fire, right? That's true. That would be the best case scenario for Charlie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, right? And then she just lets her go live a normal life. Did we actually accidentally turn this into a happy ending? I think so. I do think we can do this with everyone. (laughs) I I absolutely don't. Here's the, the only thing. like We are definitely on the right path that Rosie could put up a fight. She's She can sneak. She can pick her moment to attack. But... Charlie could also just fill the entire labyrinth with fire because her power. We're, <laughs> like, we're talking would wit, she? wit versus ah. raw power, basically. Is there anything Rosie can do to delay an immediate reaction, like a life-ending reaction by Charlie so that she can get the upper hand just cognitively? It's possible. How would you appeal to Charlie? Well, she's a child abandoned and abused by adults. So I would tell her, okay, this is going to sound so social working. I'm sorry. <laughs> I would tell her she's safe and I care about her. Jesus. And then snap her neck. <laughs> That's cold, CM. I work in a school. <laughs> <laughs> Do it every day. <laughs> <laughs> Walking halls, brick index. And or, the only way Rosie stands a chance is if she gets the early win. Right. And there's no way she's coming out of it unscathed. Yeah. So the the question is, do we think Rosie's capable of closing that distance and finding a way before getting obliterated by fireballs? I mean, absolutely. Because, like, Rainbird did it. I, like, uh, I, well, yeah, like actually, CM that's... said, she's a child. Children are yeah. stupid. <laughs> I didn't say they were stupid. Well, Jeez, too far. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any Any other arguments? Well, Charlie might have learned from the Rainbird mistake, and she might be less willing to trust adults mm. no matter what. Well, now that she's been walking down that beach training with him. Oh, no. we're, we're talking about oh. the Charlie from the movie, right? That we all loved? Okay, Charlie. Oh. Charlie from the movie loses. Hands <laughs> <laughs> down. Now, we're talking about the remake. I guess, yeah. The, we also Terrible. didn't specify at which point in these stories are these two people pulled out, because if we pull Charlie out... During the escape from the shop, that's a very different Charlie than if we pull out a on-the-run Charlie. I think I'm we should just go ahead and end say... End the book. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. the character at the height of their power. What they there. are to become. Yeah, because yeah. we can't say, like, the b- character when we first meet that, them. I mean, yeah, yeah for sure. Of them would just be Babies. people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Sorry, And we can't say no at the end of the book... Because half of them would be actively dying. (laughs) That's also very true. Okay, so when they become the character that he's making them. All right. I'm going to have to say Charlie then. Yeah. 
I'm Charlie. I'm voting Charlie. She's an unstoppable archon of fire. Yeah. So mm-hmm. she like, has the power of the sun and more. <laughs> she, yep. Charlie. Charlie moves on. Oh, reducing Rosie McClendon to ash and carrying her way out. (laughs) This next one, I think, is going to be far more balanced. (laughs) We have Dana Juergens from The Stand and Alice Maxwell from Cell. Again, an adult woman and a child. (laughs) Thank you very much for reminding me who Alice Maxwell is. You knew that was for you. (laughs) Alice's only shot is to... I don't want to say charm, but speak to that protective thing in Dana because Alice has no powers, neither does Dana, but Dana knows how to fight and she's tough. Alice is a little girl who toughens up as we meet her, but still compared to Dana is... By the end, Alice has a higher body count than Dana does. Against sleeping people, right? The cell... The yeah, the zombies. Then, not while they're sleeping, because she survives. No, against the phoners. Oh, right. Yes. I mean, they're phoners, but they weren't sleeping when she killed them. Okay, I. it has been... It's we not just, like when they ran over the football field. Yeah, <laughs> we, we were just hanging out this weekend, and we Josh all were trying... abysmal. We were all trying to remember how long it has been since we have listened, uh, since we read Cell. I remember basically nothing <laughs> so i was like oh i guess yeah her killing was when they set all those football fields on fire <laughs> but she didn't even take part in that I nope guess. and they didn't at first understand the implications of what they're doing and didn't mm. she die before she could yeah well she'd had i mean she'd been dreaming of the okay. raggedy man yeah. just like the rest of them because she was she's alive she dies two-thirds way through, I think? I think, yeah. It's just before they meet the second crew. Yeah. With the explosive um, ice cream truck. mm -hmm. So I guess what you're saying is, gun to my head, I'm gonna fight. That's Alice. Yeah. Hmm. Dana almost kills the devil with a banana. That's (laughs) awesome. True. Once it's a banana, it's no longer almost a kill, I think. Well, she almost... She tried her best. Successfully kills herself after, but... That's the only successful kill there. Mm. Let's just give it to her. <laughs> I mean, the Can banana. <laughs> give her the banana? She almost killed him with the banana. Can she just have that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, all right, okay. she can have that. So she comes armed to this fight with her <laughs> killing banana. I, I mean, I'd be willing to let her have for that little assassin's <laughs> oh, blade, okay. you know? Like, <laughs> I guess that makes da- sense. <laughs> Dana prepped for that final assault as the, the time we're getting Oh, Dana. so she oh, has well, to stab a child. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, are you gonna... And honestly, I think Alice has a gun. So. Mm. Oh, true. Dana has God on her side. Not in this universe. What so is there is the, no God in this universe. What is the environment? Or, what is the environmental uh, variable? Our lowest seed is Alice Maxwell. So this fight takes place in the world of Cell. Okay. That's no advantage to anyone. <laughs> That's just annoying for them. <laughs> okay, I. What if we litter the field with phoners? Ooh, yes, that's her advantage. Huh, because Dana would not know what was happening. <laughs> I mean, that's true. Well, Dana would instinctively, we, we allow the knowledge of instinctual violence. So she'd know that she needs to. Right, but <laughs> I mean that she'd have to get her bearings. Sure. Alice would, yeah, Alice could just be ripping off headphones. <laughs> uh, if If we're putting them inside a zombie outbreak, it becomes less which one of these two can kill the other and which one of these two can survive the longest. Interesting. Yes. 
well, we know Alice survives about two thirds of the book. Could okay, Dana survive longer than that? Then, I argue, much yes. We're, we're, pitting, <laughs> we're pitting their deaths, like the quality of those, because Alice's was just some freak. Ch- that thing just hit her. Mm. Well, those guys threw. That well, I know, but like, I mean, it's she didn't have a showdown. She, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't a matter of her fighting back or having strength. It was just it happened to her, and Dana fought. So I feel like that kind of gives her. A perceived advantage, at least, because we know how tough she is if she has to fight back. Alice, Alice is being protected by a lot of people, too. That's true. She's and, never had to, like, go hand to hand. And to the the credit of how well we remember those stories, I can remember much more about Dana's capabilities of handling herself than I can Alice's. Well, because Alice, we first met, she was kind of the Barbara of cell she was near catatonic the barbara of cell (laughs) yeah i like that i'm gonna have to go dana yeah i i agree yeah i think ben you had it with they both exist in apocalypses and she lived a lot longer Mm -hmm. (laughs) i'm just saying (laughs) all right next this is gonna be uh an interesting one mrs carmody Versus Bobby Anderson. Kill each other. <laughs> I mean, that's the dream. Miss Carmody, of course, is uh, the the mist. Correct. Yes. I feel like her power is enraging you to kill her, so... <laughs> <laughs> no contest. <laughs> yeah, it's... Although, okay, we, we're forgetting she seems to kind of foretell things she should know. That she has some guess, power in the mist. But her entire, like, draw, the only thing that would make her a formidable foe is her charisma. Which universe are we in? We are in the Tommyknockers universe. Okay. Oh, religion against science. <laughs> yeah, but if this <laughs> is still a... <laughs> uh, this is still a 1v1 fight, though. Yes. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, that's really interesting you know, because neither of them are one-on-one fighters. Bobby has the Tommy knockers behind her, mm-hmm. and she would build something to. Carmody's just a cult leader. <laughs> so for yeah. this, uh, because we have Bobby as our lower seed, let's say this fight is going to take place uh, out in the woods where she finds the ship. So we are out in the wilderness. I don't know if nature is going to be a factor here. Well, it's her woods, not True. Mrs. Carmody's. And if we're talking about them at the height of their power, big quotes, <laughs> Mrs. Carmody at her most Mrs. Carmody-ish in the book is just a raving mad woman. Yeah. And Bobby at the height of her, uh, at least at the height of her like antagonistism, is a... Almost alien being. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who, if I remember, maybe I'm making this up. The Tommyknockers didn't seem like well, right? Once they, <laughs> they were starting to transform. Is this just my imagination remembering? Or that is they it the transformation sickly? that was gross? Yeah, because it's it like, is it's yeah, uh, their radiation teeth, sickness. Yeah, yeah. Their yeah, teeth basically. fell out. Yeah. They got like real. Yeah, becoming an alien is not sexy. Yeah, it no. is not, and not, and it wouldn't seem that it would give her a, a an advantage in a fight so, unless she had her weapons, her batteries. Yeah, yeah, she did make a small sun. That is something. Yeah. See, the thing though with Mrs. Carmody, that mad woman nature, we've seen it in plenty of Stephen King books. The uh, the street fight in Needful Things, when they've gone insane, they're not 
ex- like uh, noticing the damage coming in. Mm-hmm. So if Mrs. Carmody could get that butcher knife, oh my gosh, close she that could, distance. She could. Here's how she'd close the distance. She would be like, "Oh, it's you, the savior," and be all like, "I'm your disciple. I'm here to serve you. What can I do for you?" Get close enough to her. She's kind of like, "Oh, she's on my side," and then stab her with the butcher knife. <laughs> And I, I don't remember if their bodies were particularly frail to physical violence towards the end there. I remember mm, guard tearing yeah. through, but I don't remember uh, the damage. Yeah. Uh, I only remember the flying Coke machine's damage. That's the <laughs> Oh, is a flying Coke machine not female? Correct. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, uh, the, co- the flying Coke machine is non-binary. Uh, gotcha. Can we... Is since the flying like obviously they can't have backup in the terms of like other care, but Bobby creates the things. Could she have not create? How much prep time do we have? She could have created a flying coke machine. In which case, <laughs> the answer is obvious. Uh, I I don't think she had the pieces for a coke machine out in the woods. in the woods, right? But maybe she found a coke machine in the woods, and she doctored it up real quick i really wish that there there is a bunch of metal shit poking up out yeah, of the ground right? maybe it's a coke machine or a refrigerator uh i really wish this was happening in the in the shopping center oh right yeah. so that the 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 inciting incident is bobby coming in looking for batteries and <laughs> mrs karma melody <laughs> pelting her with a bunch of batteries <laughs> that would be amazing <laughs> should we vote I think so, Ben. Sure. Yeah, I'm giving it to, to Bobby, I Re- think. I'm going I, Mrs. Carmody. Really? Yeah. I, I, I think with her, if it's the woods behind Bobby's house, I think she would have some sort of something. She could create a death beam or something. <laughs> I don't know. It's the fucking Tommy knockers. It's crazy. <laughs> that is true. See, I, my thought is we're in the woods, so we're away from the the stuff that she would normally scrounge for to build something. And I think that in the end, Mrs. Carmody would close the distance and stab her, but she wouldn't get out of it unscathed. She'd probably be near on death's door herself because Bobby would have gotten some hits in. I am so, this is so hard. <laughs> and, I, and it's Harder than the amount I care about it. <laughs> you both just made such compelling arguments that I can see both sides. I don't want to be the tiebreaker. You remember we've done this for a few years. Let, let me make <laughs> let me make uh, add something. Okay, because I think we've we've brought up the the Mortal Kombatiness mm-hmm. of this. Without really thinking about how that affects. So I'm thinking of these fights. I don't know if you all are. As literal mortal. I'm trying to break these characters down as Mortal Kombat characters. Mm-hmm. This was okay. a fighting game mm-hmm. where we are picking these characters. I think Bobby would just have her devices as part of her toolkit. And, you know, uh, quarter circle B. <laughs> uh, she yeah. just throws a, a glowy green grenade yeah, or see, whatever going fighting game mechanics i get that mm-hmm. like that stuff's mm-hmm. just always oh, just off screen or in, in their but, yeah. but Ms. my Cardi. thing is in more in the dairy fight night ask where we are mm. they they have they're in this arena they have what is right there and then it's go time i was gonna agree with ben but if we're going by yours then maybe miss carmody's finishing move is tentacles come out from the edges of the screen and grab mm, bobby I do like that. <laughs> 
can someone make this game? She wants <laughs> a swarm of those uh, mosquito bird things. I'm, well, I'm not a fighting game guy. <laughs> I can't make my fingers do the moves right, but I want to play this game. That would be a really fun game. Oh, for the sake of moving forward, I'm, I'm going to go with Bobby just because I feel like she has powers that I'm not quite remembering from the book, but I feel like <laughs> they, they give her an edge. I also think that maybe uh, my argument for Mrs. Carmody's uh, not noticing the pain really also translates to Bobby as well because mm-hmm. the alien in her wouldn't care. care about the pain. Yeah. All right, we have our final matchup of this episode. Dolores Claiborne versus Abra Stone. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> This, and, and, and this one's absurd. <laughs> Abra Stone is the lower seed, so this fight happens in her bedroom. In her, in her in imagination. Her imaginary bedroom. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, honestly, I, why not? Honestly, that gives Dolores Claiborne a huge advantage. <laughs> Go on. Yeah. Because uh, Dolores Claiborne's not going to fist fight a little girl. But if we're in a, a mindscape of some sort, and it is just their wills going against each other, Dolores Claiborne's mm. like 90% will. That's like that's her true. whole thing. Wow. She's like a very stubborn lady. <laughs> she does have, okay, they're way more equally matched than I thought because it it is Abra's home turf and she's done this before. So she'll be quicker at fighting this way. Yeah, but Dolores, the second she realizes she's in a, a dream world, She's just going to be like, you think I'm going to let you humiliate me, little girl? No. <laughs> like, imagine the the opening shot is uh, Abra doing something that uh, pins Dolores to the wall or pins her to the floor. And so it's just, and then all of a sudden the sky becomes an eclipse. <laughs> and then <laughs> Dolores Claiborne rips her arms from the floor. <laughs> I, I hate to bring this up after that beautiful <laughs> word picture you just painted us. Thank you. But I think Dolores would sacrifice herself, allow herself to be killed, because after having a daughter who was abused, she's not going to fight this kid, even if, if it's metaphorical. What if she was instilled with a thought in her brain that the only way to save her child is to kill this one? Yeah, she was ripped from the book. Oh, I'll find a you, way to make it happen. I don't think you can ask me that. I That's can. Cheating. I did. You didn't. She, she, well, the <laughs> rules are they will fight to the death. So <laughs> you're, the, you're the one who tried to get around it. She was ripped from the book <laughs> at the point where her daughter was young enough that she is left alone with her husband. And she knows that she has to get back to her world. And the only way to do it is to kill a little girl with the shining. Push this, this little is, girl down a well. This is so dark. Yeah. This is a horrible. Why did we do this? <laughs> <laughs> we I pitched so many ideas, guys. Uh, well, I It was originally gonna be dogs. We were gonna <laughs> it was gonna be a, dog violences, yeah. <laughs> I think Abra is just I think she has too much power. Especially kind of at the end when she understands that power and more things are unlocked. Mm-hmm. And there's all those moments where she keeps like the looking directly into the camera and grimacing and being like, I'm so powerful. That happens in the book, right? Yeah. No, there's all those moments in, in Dr. Sleep where Abra's like, you see that little bit of Jack inside of her, you know? Oh yeah. I think that as far as this fight goes, if Dolores was able to turn the tide and fight back, 
she might get some shots in, but the second Abra realized, oh shit, this is not as easy as I thought it would be, she would squish her like a buck. Yeah. I'm going to go Abra. I'm also going to go Abra. Yeah, I think it's Abra. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely done Abra on this one. So we have all of our winners from round one. Here we go. I'm going to recap and then we're going to take a break and we'll see what happens on round two. All right. So advancing to the quarterfinals, we have Charlie McGee versus Dana Jurgens. Then we have Bobby Anderson versus Abra Stone. And that's <laughs> just, I just yeah, good radio. <laughs> Thirty <laughs> seconds of CM and I nodding thoughtfully. <laughs> that's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. Oh no, I worked so hard on the intro. <laughs> <laughs> it's gone. I did not think of a fun pun to close out. Part one of March Madness. That's fine. Come up with one right now. Don't edit, edit any of this. Okay. Well. Uh, workshop it. Okay. What do you know about it? I, I, okay, so there's, what this, does that mean? there's the seeds and the seeds fight each other. And on. We'll and seed on you a, next time. Thank you. Nailed it. Hey everyone. CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to March Madness part one. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, send us your brackets, I guess. That's, that's how this goes. I don't remember. Someday I'll figure it out, but not today. Because today, all I ask is that you follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Dairy Public Radio or X at Dairy Public. You can also email us at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. As always, check out our Patreon page for bonus episodes every other week. And check out our Etsy store for merchandise. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.